Welcome. Your journey starts with improving every aspect of your life. Let's Talk Corelicious Leave Room for Dessert podcast is about discovering your true potential, overcoming your fears, and fighting life like the brave warrior that you are. Be sure to hit the like, comment, and follow button. Your host, Miss V, the Core of Life coach, has over 20 years of military and personal life experiences transforming lives from a caterpillar to a butterfly and bringing on the top influencers, successful entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and more who are rock stars in life, business, and relationships. On days when everything seems overwhelming, someone must remind you that there is light at the end of the tunnel, and with rain comes rainbows. What seems difficult to swallow today is exactly where you'll derive your strength from on the days to come. You are greater than your fears and braver than you seem. Miss V, the core life coach, shares how the hurdles of today will build your tomorrow if you take the right road. Your brighter future demands that you can step up now and change the game for yourself. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 12 of Let's Talk Coalition's Room for Dessert podcast with Miss B, the Core Life Coach. I'm your host, Miss B, and I'm thrilled to have you join us for another exciting episode. In today's episode, we have a very special guest joining us. Please give a warm welcome to former mayor of Prairie View, David. Alan, welcome. Hello, how you doing, Miss E? Pleasure to be here. I am, do- I am doing well, and I'm going to go over your bio, so just hang tight a minute. David okay. Allen served as the mayor and CEO of Prayer View, Texas, overseeing city administration, police, and public works. During his 10 years, the city flourished under his guidance, witnessing a astounding economic surge that resulted in a remarkable $600 million worth of development within a mere four-year span. One of the key areas of growth in Prairie View has been in the realm of student housing with the addition of over 5,000 beds. Furthermore, in addition to the growth in student housing, Prairie View has experienced the establishment of new restaurants, convenience stores, townhomes, retail spaces, and even a hotel. These additions have played a significant role in fostering a vibrant and thriving community. The impact of these developments goes beyond just the fiscal infrastructure. The city has seen a significant increase in revenue with property taxes alone contributing an additional $1.9 million to the city's budget. This has allowed for improvements in city services and an expansion of the police force, 
all while aiming to lower property taxes for residents age 65 and above. In addition to being an expert in economic development, David Allen possesses extensive knowledge as a certified identity theft risk management specialist. He demonstrates a profound understanding of privacy and security laws such as FACTA and others, and we'll unpack that shortly. He assists businesses and associations in educating and ensuring compliance with these laws, particularly when it comes to handling personally identifiable information, PII. In today's conversation, we will not only explore the incredible growth and development in Prairie View and also dive into the importance of privacy and security in our digital age, David Allen will share his expertise on FACTA and provide valuable insights on how organizations can protect themselves and their customers from identity theft. So get ready for an enlightening and informative discussion as we delve into the economic success story of Prairie View, Texas, and the crucial topic of privacy and security in today's world. Let's get started. David Allen, can you tell us about your experience as the former mayor and CEO of Prairie View, Texas? Well, Ms. V, you've done such a wonderful job. I just need to step back and clap and say, hey, that's it, you know. <laughs> but, no, just a, just a pleasure to be here. I appreciate that introduction. Uh, first, give an honor to God. It's just a, a blessing to still be here. Um, I'm a one-year uh, prostate cancer survivor, and had I not changed doctors, I would not have made that year. So oh, I'm wow. very blessed to be here and thankful, and I want to thank you for uh, having me on. As mayor of Prairie View, I was a graduate of Prairie View A&M University, and I'd go back and forth. I actually did black college tours once I relocated to Los Angeles and uh, bringing 100 to 200 students back to Prairie View and then, you know, down through Grambling, Southern, FAMU, the Atlanta Circuit, and up the East Coast through Hampton, North Carolina A&T, North Carolina Central, sometimes Virginia State University, finishing up at uh, Howard in D.C., and then give them a tour of Washington, D.C., you know, just expose these, you know, 15, 16, 17-year-old students who, for most of them, is their first trip out of Los Angeles, much less California, but California schools weren't real good to uh, our students, so I just said, hey, you know, there, there's some places out here who'd love to have y'all, and most of them wound up being smart coming to Prairie View, but yeah. I took them to all the schools, and some went to Tuskegee, you know, some went to FAMU, and, and I know this because I'm still in touch with some of my former students, and it's been 20 years, so it's just wow. been uh, been a blessing, but uh, I took a look at... Um, in coming back, I started spending a little bit more time on the city side of Prairie mm-hmm. View, where most of my work was with the university, you know, with the students and being on 
President Beck, former President Beckton's foundation board of directors and the national alumni, I really wasn't involved in the city. But having been retired and just kind of really, you know, being able to lounge, you know, I was spending time in the city through a friend and, and staying at their empty apartment, you know, when I came up here for, you know, a few days, a weekend, a week, and waking up, walking around, and i tell you, uh, after being in all the cities, waking up, hearing the birds, and smelling that wonderful, fresh country air, and going for a walk or a jog, it just got good to me, and I just, I just relocated here. And, uh, okay. But I looked around and felt that the city hadn't really progressed um, mm-hmm. that much and just felt that, you know, let me see because I think I can help because my background was in business. I was a franchise consultant running things in Los Angeles and running the NAACP and all that other stuff and just thought I'd bring some of uh, that experience here. And, you know, you you mentioned the roughly $600 million in economic development and uh, was really blessed. It was certainly a gift by God to be able to do all that in such a short time. Wow, that's very commendable of you, David. What what? were some of the key factors that contributed to the economic boom in Prairie View during your tenure? Well, the I was in Los Angeles and watching sometimes the news where at Prairie View we had a good, bad problem. We had the news down here because parents were complaining because their students had been accepted into the university but the university housing on campus booked up and there hadn't been much in the city. Mm-hmm. So really one of my first charges as mayor was to address that problem, which would also address another problem. In order to hire more people and provide more services, you need to increase the city's revenue and the city's budget. Well, these things did both. The first one was a 1,400-bedroom complex, Panther Hill, and the owner was just wonderful. His daughter happened to be a graduate. They were from Turkey, but his daughter happened to be a graduate of our College of Architecture, and when I found that out, I mean, he was just in trouble. He didn't know. He was in trouble. Being the number Mm -hmm. one recruiter of students in the university's history, I just, you know, built that relationship and got him to do all that and... Then he wound up doing another one, and, you know, um, it was really just accommodating the wonderful students that the university uh, attracted and helping them with housing in the city. It just really helped take care of both problems, so to speak. Okay. Speaking of housing, how did the addition of over 5,000 students housing beds impact the growth? of Prairie View. Uh, are you speaking of how I more than doubled the city's budget? Is that the growth you're referring to? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, we were, we were blessed. We, uh, it was just under five, $5 million when I started. Um, last year, with so many things hitting the city coffers and, you know, taxes being paid, those things, uh, it was it's now just under twelve million. Um and we were able to more than, you know, add 
staff at City Hall. Now we need to expand City Hall because, you know, I got all these people in here. And, uh, and our police department is actively working on a, a new separate police station because we more than doubled the, the, the police force and we've got some great officers in there doing, you know, just a wonderful job really deterring crime more than having to face it. You know what I mean? When you have an officer who shows up that looks like they might catch a crook, nobody wants to be the crook. So they really do a wonderful job. As a matter of fact, when I get off the call with you all, this is just me, uh, I'll be going out on a ride with Sergeant Whiting this evening. This is homecoming week, and, you know, um, again, the officers, the chiefs, I, I just love and support them all, and they know that and feel that, and, you know, they ask me to do these things, and, and I love it because that's what I did when I was mayor as well. I'd be out riding with somebody at midnight. I'd just say, who's on duty? Come pick me up. You know, let's go ride, you know, because I was like knowing what's going on because you can't take care of stuff if you don't know what's happening. Awesome. Speaking of the police force, how did the expansion of the police force contribute to the overall growth and safety of Prairie Well, the whenever someone, whether you're an individual or a business, uh, a couple of the two main things you look for is the school system, and the police department, a.k.a., you know, what kind of crime is in the area because, you know, you want you, your business, your family to be safe. So by improving that, the stability in the city, we don't have the problems we used to have. You know, again, big or small, you got a bunch of people coming in from everywhere. You've got, you know, a certain amount of bad element or crime in there. So with having more police, more of a police presence, um, it just tends to deter the crime to the extent where they at least look at, you know, if you're going to commit crime, you better go do it somewhere else because we've got the law enforcement and we've got the law enforcement that will catch you, you know, if you're, if you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing. Mm. Could you explain the efforts made to lower property taxes for residents age 65 and above? Well, we now have, uh, and it's coming up actually for next year. We just finished the city budget in September, September 30th, and it you have to do it. So we had missed the, I think it's June or July time frame. So now what we're doing is looking at adding the 65 and over uh, property tax exemption to mm-hmm. our residents here who've been basically carrying the city, you know, for a long time because we yeah. didn't have the, uh, you know, we didn't have the, the the revenue from the businesses and that sort of thing. And now that we've got that and it's growing, you know, even the largest cricket sports complex in the United States, we now have in Purview. So Purview is on international news every week around mm-hmm. the world because cricket is the number two sport in the world, only behind mm-hmm. soccer. And wow. we have the largest thing in the United States right here in Purview. It's the Purview Cricket Complex. You look it up, and you'll see a lot of positive news about what's going on in Purview just from the cricket side 
on top of everything else. Wow, that's very interesting. I have a question for you about uh, certified identity theft risk management specialist. What motivated you to what motivated you to become that? Well, I was a legal broker, and the company that I'm with, Legal Shield, we had some people with a company called Kroll, K-R-O-L-L. They approached our leadership several years ago now, and they were talking about this thing called identity theft. Well, we didn't know what that was. You know, we all knew about crooks and people, you know, using your information, stealing your credit cards. But the term identity theft was still new. And initially, our founders were, no, we're just going to stay with our core legal business. And then these guys kept coming back. Now, Kroll is made up of former CIA, FBI types, okay? When Mm -hmm. IBM had a breach, they called Kroll. When the U.S. government couldn't find Saddam Hussein's assets, they called Mm -hmm. Kroll, and Kroll found them. Now, our identity theft product is just that. To uh, That led to a certification. Most people have heard of uh, financial planners. Well, the company that founded that also founded the Certified Identity Theft Risk Management Specialist. They're based out of San Diego. And now a lot of lawyers, law enforcement people, they, you know, we go through that. I went through it because... I saw what was coming with identity Mm -hmm. theft. There are a lot of laws out there that regulate companies and even individuals at their jobs, and most people don't know if you haven't been trained, it can Mm -hmm. be a problem if you have a breach because it's federal law now that you have a certain amount of um, identity theft training. A lot of people Mm -hmm. refer to it as cybersecurity, you know, identity theft. All of that is basically bottom line, people stealing people's information, whether they do it individually or they do it through some business entity. Okay. How does your expertise in privacy and security laws complement your role in economic development? Well, the uh, companies, for example, the student housing, they get applications. The applications have people's personally identifiable information, social, name, driver's license, address, they accept checks for payments. All of that information is now subject to federal scrutiny, and it'll make the news if you have a breach and you lose that information. So even in working with these individuals, I share with them some of the practices that they need to do to protect this information, which protects them and it protects our student parent, student residents and their parental information. So it goes hand in hand because every store takes credit cards, checks, things mm-hmm. like that in addition to cash. So as they come in, we keep them safe, we keep our people safe, and everything flourishes because no one wants to go somewhere where, again, there's a lot of problems, and that is just another crime that makes the news. Wow. Excellent. Can you provide some examples of privacy and security laws that you specialize in apart from FACTA? Well, the uh, Fair and Accurate Credit Transaction Act, uh, commonly called FACTA, that's what regulates 
all of these things. So every time any business, in order to be in business, you know, you're going to have to accept payment. And commonly that payment is in credit card and sometimes check, and there may be a check coming from your bank. Even if you don't write checks, when you pay a bill, your bank is writing a check to whoever you're paying the bill to. So helping mm-hmm. to keep those things and, and training people on the uh, the laws and, and things that they can do at their regular facility or things that their employees need to be aware of just to make sure. Because when something happens and the government steps in and they say, well, were your people trained on, let's mm-hmm. say, FACTA, the FACT Act, and you say, what's that? That's not a good answer. And mm-hmm. you may be you're hearing more and more there are lawsuits. There, there mm. are law firms on the social media who are asking, have you been a victim of identity theft? You know, call us only because they can now sue on your behalf. And, again, if companies, which most of them aren't even aware, and these laws are not new anymore, but mm-hmm. still, you know, people in business trying to do business, and often there are things out there that affect you. You're just not aware of it, but they affect you nevertheless. Yes, absolutely. What are some common challenges businesses and associations face in complying with privacy and security laws? Well, the main one is they aren't even aware that they're there, much less that they affect them. For example, your question reminds me of a nonprofit organization that has members, mm-hmm. that has okay. members fill out an application that accepts members' checks or credit cards for dues or donations to, you know, mm-hmm. a fundraiser. They're liable for all of that stuff, and they don't even know it. And mm-hmm. a lot of times, again, you know, we keep doing things the way we've always done them, so we, we're not aware, and if you don't have someone, you know, who makes you aware of them intentionally and something happens, you know, you take a lot of people's checks over the weekend, and, of course, you know, you may not take it to the bank until Monday or Tuesday. Well, if mm-hmm. the pouch that those checks are in, that those, those credit card information are in, if they get stolen, the law says you're supposed to notify all of those people that you breached or lost their information, not notifying them as to you're being sued. And mm-hmm. I can't think of a nonprofit out there that can take them kind of lawsuits because, again, they're trying to raise money and, and do good work, but you have responsibilities now. And if you're not aware of them, that's a problem. So when you go into the company thing, at least companies have paid employees and you know, they sort of have some things, mechanisms in place to take care of the financial stuff because they're in business. Well, nonprofits, mm-hmm. even churches, churches can be sued for those checks they take up on Sunday and mm. they don't even know it. So that's wow. the biggest detriment to it. And again, you've got small business people, they're trying to do business, but are you aware that you have some requirements? You know, and, and that's some of the training and, and, and our legal plan that we offer at, uh, at my website, davidallen.biz. 
V I Z, and people, you know, can get information on having affordable access to some protection and where you can get the information on what you need to do based on who you are and what you do, whether you're a church, another nonprofit, or you're a small business owner and you accept checks and credit cards. And I don't know that cash and Zelle and the rest of these things, I don't even know how all of them fall under it yet, but I know they fall under it. Mm-hmm. Wow. What are the potential consequences for organizations that fail to comply with privacy and security laws? Being sued. Mm. That's the worst nightmare for any entity, business or nonprofit. It's just worse because a business owner still may have access to an attorney, maybe, or they may have some sort of insurance. Nonprofits, our organizations don't think like that because, again, we're just trying to do some good work, raise some money for scholarships or whatever other uh, nonprofit purpose for which the IRS granted the 501c3 tax exemption, and they don't know. So you can't – it's sort of like a game. You can't play a game if you don't know what the rules are. And there are a lot of rules, and they can cost you. They'll wipe you out, and some of these things can follow the people who are volunteering. They can follow you home. Mm. Even though you're volunteering, you're still liable for whatever these laws encompass that you may have you know, been involved with. You accepted it. You, you, you collect my check for your fundraiser, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I gave the check to you. You solicited it, and I agreed to make a donation. I mm-hmm. gave my check to you. You took it to the organization. You're going to be named in the lawsuit if I become mm-hmm. a victim of identity theft, and I believe. Now, I don't have to know. I just have to believe I became a victim of identity theft because of the check I gave you. Your name's going to be in the lawsuit. Wow. Are you protected? Yes. That's the game that's being played now. And it's costing, and with the economy, with the times we're in, everybody's looking for an excuse. They don't need a reason. They're looking for an excuse to sue try to make some money, and maybe not have to work the rest of their life. So exposure's a real issue. So which leads me into my next question. How can organizations effectively handle personally identifiable information to prevent identity theft? Well, I have to be honest with you. You can't prevent identity theft. The last Homeland Security Conference I was in in Los Angeles, the FBI and and, and Homeland Security, they talk about this stuff. They talk about how they got into major institutions, major government entities. The, The biggest thing with FACTA, which is what all of this stuff falls under, those federal, federal group of laws with the Federal Trade Commission, when you look at It's like a car accident. Did you contribute to it? Did you do, were you driving the speed limit? What did you do? 
what the what the courts look at now is did you do at best the minimum that you could do most people have to say no cuz they don't even know the laws are out there so they certainly don't know what to do but having the training and and you know people like myself I travel around the country and I do this training at no cost to the organization mm-hmm. and Basically, you're able to say, we did this, we did this, we did this. You know, we had this guy come in who trained us on it, and we did everything we could, and we couldn't stop that. Like, maybe it was from a robbery. Well, you can't stop that, and they know it. But were your people trained? No. Mm -hmm. Even though it was a robbery, your people weren't trained, you weren't aware of the laws. That's the stuff that opens you up to potential liability. Because it's at least mm-hmm. contributory. Can you share any success stories or examples of organizations that have effectively implemented privacy and security measures? Well, the ones that we do, we tend, um, unfortunately, because of privacy, we don't put their names out there because they don't even want people to know, you know, that they're making enough money to you know, come and try to attack them and that sort of thing. But you do have, um, I mean, their court cases, I don't have those in my mind right off, right off hand. But look at it this way. If something happens to your business, what is your defense? What can you say you did to try to, at minimum, keep this from happening. Mm. That's where, you know, we come in or I come in to try to assist. And now, nowadays, even with Zoom calls, you know, mm-hmm. we've been doing them, again, to share the information, answer people's questions, take a look at what their situation is. But typically, if it's a business, one of the things that I tend to do is I'll walk the office and I'll mm-hmm. point things out to them, you know, you know, you've got this application up here for your patients, and I'm able to come in when you answer the phone or turn your back or go to the restroom, and I've got somebody's application off of there with their mm-hmm. medical information. And if I go and get medical care in mm-hmm. your name, in your name, it, that information goes into the Medical Information Bureau. And it's like the streets downtown, one way. So you go to get treated, and let's say, hypothetically, I had some bad illness, like AIDS or something. Well, in Mm -hmm. your file, it shows you have AIDS. So if you go in for surgery, the doctors don't go through all that stuff. They just treat you based on your file. Well, now your Mm -hmm. file is commingled with mine, so they're treating you with my vital statistics. My blood type more likely is different than yours. You know, even our sex is different, and it could make a play in, you know, what my numbers and stats come back versus yours. Mm. Oh, it, it gets crazy. They can commit a crime in your name, and these are cases I can share with you because it's public information. You have people. There was a guy in Maryland. He lived in Maryland, happened to be a white gentleman, okay? 
uh, African American. He visited his dad in California. An African American guy got his information, went to Florida, and set up a life in this nice kind of townhouse community, partying and everything. But he wound up killing a lady in that residence. Guess whose name it, the crime was in? The guy in Maryland. Well, it was something about it, and it just happened to be a female detective that caught it. And she looked him up and traced it to the guy in Maryland, and she called him. And when she told him it was an African-American guy, he said, oh, well, that's not a problem because I'm white. He said, she said, that is a problem. Because law enforcement doesn't always take a look. They know the wrong box might be checked by race, but it's your name. If they look you up, you are considered armed and extremely dangerous. That's how crazy it gets. People have gone to jail. Another gentleman had someone in Houston who used his name on a speeding ticket. Well, of course, he didn't show up because he didn't know he had a speeding ticket. So he got pulled over in his home. He was living in Las Vegas. And the speeding ticket, of course, the warrant was in Houston. He spent 45 days in jail until Houston could send someone to bring him back. Mm. He couldn't even bail out because Las Vegas didn't want him. They were holding him for Texas. So you don't have a bail. It gets crazy. And remember, they didn't have the driver's license. They didn't have the credit card. They only had the name. Your identity starts with your name, not your license or credit card. That's the confusion that has allowed this problem to become so rampant. And, again, that's why, you know, our our service has become more and more viable. We're the only one that allows you to call an attorney 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, whenever there's a police situation where you're pulled over for speeding or, or some other reason, or somebody says, hey, we're looking for you. Like, let me get my lawyer on the phone. See, you have a right to call a lawyer. Most people just don't have a lawyer to call. For a dollar a day, right. we take care of that. Yes. Wow. Which leads me into my next question. Are there any specific industries or sectors that are more vulnerable to identity theft? Oh, yes, absolutely. Every single one that has other people's information is <laughs> crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. This, this, the technology that we live in today is absolutely incredibly wonderful. The problem is you've got people in everywhere from Russia to Nigeria to God knows where who are doing nothing but trying to crack systems or get into our bank accounts or get our information. Now, take a look at social media. Mm -hmm. Most people on social media love to get congratulations, happy birthday, from a lot of people they don't really know. Am I right? right. Uh -huh. So now I know your name. I know your birth date. Uh -huh. I can look up the two 
and I'll probably get, if I go on your social media, I'll know what city or definitely what state you're in. I can put together enough information to set up a profile in your name Mm -hmm. and commit identity theft in your name. Create a whole new you that you don't know is out there until it becomes a problem. There's a case, Colorado. A gentleman bought a car in another person's name and social, okay? He used, no, no, he used his name. He used the other guy's social. I'm sorry. He used another guy's social because his credit didn't qualify for the car. Well, of course, the guy found out, you know, that this was on his credit file, contacted the police, police arrested the guy, and the guy, you know, he put his address and everything. And, again, he used his correct name. Went all the way up to the Colorado Supreme Court. The guy did not commit aggravated identity theft because he used his own name. Mm-hmm. Now, he used the other guy's social, right? Mm-hmm. And your social is private to you, right? Mm-hmm. No, it's not. Social Security was set up by IBM during the Great Depression so that they could count us for us to go get our, you know, cheese, rations, whatever. It was never meant to be used as it is today for financial Mm -hmm. purposes. The financial industry created that. It was not meant to be private, and if it's not meant to be private, how could he break a privacy law? It gets crazy. Mm-hmm. And there's how do you a case say, that went up to... Yes. I was going to say, how do you stay updated on the latest developments and changes in privacy and security laws? You, you, un- unless, unless you're like someone like me who that's the industry we're in, you can't. You, you really can't because, you know, you got a full-time job, business, family, life, and this is a full-time career itself. Just like the financial planners, now you've got the certified identity theft risk management specialist. A financial planner is a full-time job or business. So is this. And it's hard for me to stay on top of your industry if that's not what I do, practice, go get trained on, you know, follow everything with, you don't. But that's why more and more people have been getting our services because when somebody becomes a victim of identity theft, our services between the Kroll and the lawyers, they make it go away like it never happened because they know the laws and they know you're a victim. As a victim, even I may not know everything I need to. So if I'm confronted by the police because and someone used my name all the time because I was in that first major group of veterans that was exposed through the VA, and I've been a victim periodically ever since. Mm. But I have someone to pick up the phone and call, so I don't have to worry about that. If somebody comes to my door and they're really at the wrong door, I can get my police on, I mean, I can get my lawyer on the phone right now. Mm-hmm. And even if someone knows a lawyer, they know the law firm office number. And if it's not a criminal lawyer, it doesn't even matter if it's your, if it's your spouse. They, they can't help you because they don't know the criminal laws. So we're able to get lawyers on the phone based on 
or emergency situations. Wow, this is very it's kind of it's it's kind of like a car accident. When you think about it, how do you prevent a car accident? You know, you're trying to drive as carefully as you can, but you can't stop the other guy from hitting you, right? Correct. So you do what? You pick up the phone and you call your car insurance. They get mm-hmm. you a tow car to tow yours to the shop, get you a rental vehicle, all that stuff. You have insurance for that. Identity theft has now become a situation, just like life's legal events, where you have a bad car repair, who are you going to call? If the car repair is seven, $800, you're not going to pay fifteen, two $2,000 retainer for a $700 problem, but you're about to lose $700. Our lawyers help make sure that doesn't happen. They write a letter to them and tell them either fix your car or reimburse your money. And they cite them, in my case, the California Bureau of Automotive Repairs, the very first letter that the law firm wrote for me in 1998 to Sears. And I can say that because the lawyer said, you can say anything you want. As long as you're speaking the truth, we got your back. (laughs) Wow. It's amazing. It's like medical. You know, we can't stop from getting sick, but we have medical insurance so that we can go to the doctor and they can take care of us and, you know, uh, hopefully make us better again. Identity theft, just like the regular consumer stuff, it's just another one of those things. And uh, that's why so many of us, you know, in the insurance industry in this side, you know, the American Bar Association and the National Association of Attorney Generals they uh, they voted to endorse the need to have a plan, and ours just happens to be the oldest and the best plan at 50-plus years old. Wow. With the years, can you provide any advice for individuals or organizations looking to pursue a career in economic development? Uh, yes. Take a look. Number one, do a search for economic development and understand what that means and see how you can apply it to your situation. What I like about a a small town like a Prairie View, Mm -hmm. when you look at we don't have everything that the Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, the big cities have. Mm Mm-hmm. See, in many respects, they've already been economically developed. All of those buildings and and infrastructure, all that's pretty much done. Now, they go through having to repair or maybe somebody, you know, has a piece of land that is super expensive and they can afford to develop something on it. But when you look at your suburban areas where they've got land, that's where you've got opportunity. The cities, they've run out of land. Walla County is one of the fastest growing counties, not just in the state, but in the United States, because Houston is building this way because it has nowhere else to go. You know, north and south have pretty much been developed. Uh, East, they got the water in Galveston. They can't go, you know, much that way. So it's growing, but it's, it's getting in front of something just like the, 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 the legal insurance or identity theft insurance business. Mm-hmm. We know it's a problem, 
Most people don't know that there are very, very, at a dollar a day, affordable solutions. And that's what has helped me to retire some 20-something years ago. Just letting Uh people know, you know, if you need a legal hookup, you need a lawyer, you know, you got questions, you want to get your free will done, you want to get protection with moving traffic violations, our lawyers go and keep it off your record, all the things that we do, people already need. They just don't know we're here, and that's what creates such an opportunity. Very good, very good. How do you balance the needs of economic development with the preservation of natural resources and the environment? Great question. Most of the economic development that I brought to Prairie View was on undeveloped land. So when you're looking at land that uh, could be improved or it was land that uh, in one case where I fought with the state for 14 months to get a Shell gas station and a Checkers restaurant, there were one, two, three, three, maybe four homes there, but all of them were ready to move because they were like second or third generation homes. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the people were elderly, and this gave them an opportunity to really enjoy their later years, the kids, kids and grandkids being grown and gone. So they were all willing to sell. Matter of fact, when they came to me, the buyers and the sellers were already ready to sell. The state just said, they couldn't build those things there. And that's what took me 14 months of back and forth, you know, with the State Department of Transportation and in Austin, and, uh, and I was able to get it done. But the, the ability to take a look at what's there, who wants to build what, and where they want to build it really kind of helps take care of and answer your question. If they wanted to build something on that corner, for example, and mm-hmm. any one of those three people didn't want to sell, then they can't get it because they can't buy the land, you see. But yeah. the fact that you have land and people are willing to sell it, then that becomes an economic development opportunity. You have someone willing to come in and build and someone who's willing to sell so they get the benefit of, you know, having the land all these years and paying taxes, whatever, and now they're ready to cash out. That's when, that's what I call the perfect storm. Everything fits okay. because both sides want the same thing. But but okay. when you speak of opportunity, though, one thing we've got is I'm, I've been working on a project for a few years now, and it stopped just because of COVID, to bring in and grow Vietnamese orchids in the city of Prairie View, greenhouses, the whole nine yards. I visited their operation in Vietnam, and they're one of the largest orchid-growing companies, and I met them through a professor at the university who helped them, like, over the years, develop different colors or types of orchids. And Mm -hmm. when they had me come over and I took a look at it, and I loved it, they wrote a letter of a million dollar letter of intent to start to build it mm-hmm. and then COVID hit. So we put it on hold, but he and I were talking recently and we're 
swinging back around. We're still in touch with those folks, and they're still reeling, and we're just kind of really making sure COVID doesn't reel its ugly head again, but we're, uh, we're almost ready to go. So that's creating an economic development opportunity because think of it this way. They buy, you know, eight, nine acres, not a lot of land when you're not in a big city, okay? But having those Walmart trucks, HEB trucks roll through there, Amazon trucks picking up orchids and taking them around the state or around the country and skipping the expensive shipping costs coming from Asia where most orchids are grown, that's why they're so expensive. So to grow them here, not only could they be less expensive, but there's a lot of jobs involved, you know, in growing and cultivating them from one step to the next, all the way around. And again, the economic development, the increased property tax, the sales tax, because they're selling the orchids, a lot of revenue coming into a small city like Purview and, and just being able to, again, really increase and double the, uh, the city's budget again. I just okay. think like that. That's all. Yes, that's very good. Very informative. I'm learning a lot tonight. I hope the listeners are. How do you stay motivated and continue to learn and grow in your areas of expertise? I enjoy, I, I make it a point to know more than anyone that's not in my industry or business. Mm-hmm. And I learned that, you know, from uh, some from the Army and some from college at Prairie View and m University. No one should know more than you about whatever it is you do, whether you mm-hmm. do hair, whether you wash cars, Whatever, when they talk about being the best you can, you have to stay on top of what's the best tools, what's the best chemicals, what's the newest styles of whatever you do. So the reading and and staying on top of what's going on in the country, what's going on in the world, like when COVID hit, I had just come back from Vietnam. So I'm hearing news over there, a couple hundred thousand people quarantined, you know, folks getting sick, and they don't know what it is. And people over here, when I told them, they said, well, you need to go to the doctor. I said, and tell them what? They don't even know over there. And that was like January. And by March, COVID was locking us down because that's when I locked the city down. But I wanted to stay on top of what's going on. I watched the news. I researched it. You know, fortunately, with Google and search engines, all we need to enter is our thoughts keywords, just ask the question, and a lot of good information will come up, but you have to be willing to peruse those articles to see which one might have something that can impact you, your knowledge, your business, so you just really want to read a lot. Like, I learned, you know, I'm telling people, I locked the city down, but people have to eat. So through my college tours, I used to visit USDA in Washington, D.C., and I knew they had a lot of programs, and I got with somebody I knew at the university, and long story short, we had those big 18-wheelers trying to drive through some of our back small country roads, but we wound up over that course of time delivering 25,000 boxes of food, according to the USDA, was delivered to us here, and we got through it, and it took almost two years before 
our first COVID-related death in the city of Prairie View. Oh, wow. Well, David Allen, we're getting close to uh, completing this interview, and it's been very informative, and I'm so grateful. But I do have a couple more questions. One question I want to ask, and the last question is going to be how they can get a hold of you, the listeners. Is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners and inspiring professionals in the field of economic development and privacy and security? Well, the one thing I would say is how great, this is a question that I've shared with thousands of, of, of students, and I learned it as a student. Ask yourself and write it down. Store it in your cell phone, just like you store somebody's name. How great do I want to be? How great do I want to be? Now, that answer is going to be different for every single person in the world. Like with yourself, you, I remember some of your early days and the training and things. You did what it took to get you to this point, to position mm-hmm. yourself like this and, and have a podcast and be a speaker that's invited and, and can get paid. It's how great do I want to be? When you figure that out, you will be successful no matter what it is, whether you're Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird. They got up, they came early, stayed late, and they were the stars, but they still did it to remain the stars. They practiced, they worked harder at their craft. So whatever it is that you do, become the best at it. What I love when I found out about becoming a legal broker and not having to go to law school. I mean, my mentor didn't even, I mean, he finished high school, but I like to say he flunked out of college. He likes to say he just didn't like to go to class. I didn't see a difference. Okay. But it didn't stop him from becoming a millionaire. And all we do is let people know our services are here because we only do two things. We help people with our lawyers and our identity theft service, and we make money by helping people just by letting them know it's here. I don't, I don't like to work hard. I like to work smart. And that's the kind of thing that allows me to keep, you know, doing it and having fun with it because the problems, life events are going to happen, even if it's just that we're going to get sick one day. That's going to happen. It's just what do we do when something happens, and that's where our lawyers come in handy. Awesome. How can our listeners get in touch with you, David Allen? Well, my my website, I'll give you that. It's D-A-V-I-D-A-L-L-E-N dot B-I-Z. B is in baby, I-Z is in zebra. I'll give you my cell phone number because that's how open I am. My phone number is all over the Internet anyway. It's area code 323-646-9818. 323-646-9818, and my email address is Mr. Legal Biz, M-R-L-E-G-A-L-B-I-Z at AOL.com. And even if you just have a question about anything, you know, I, I like people, I like helping people, and it doesn't take that long to be nice and, and, and share information, and I think that's where my blessings come, because they say the more you help other people, the 
the you know the more your blessings come back and and God has been good and uh I can thank my mother uh rest in heaven um she left us a few months ago at 96 but I just look at the pictures I smile because you know we made that time we had that fun and uh I'm just thankful and being blessed and meeting incredible people like yourself all the time thank it's you. a pleasure thank you well, oh, guess who I saw? At a, at, I saw at a meeting last week at the Greater oh. Houston Partnership. I saw who's your president? The guy who always did the, the what's his name? I, he lives in Houston. The president of the international group. Yes. Yes, I ran into him at the meeting. He said he was going to call me. You know, it was, it was just a pleasure to see him. But this was about doing business with Texas all the way to Panama and Latin America. That was a meeting awesome. I was in just last week. You know, again, awesome. these good things happen when you're doing good things and trying to give and help other people. It comes back to you in nice ways. Awesome, awesome. Well, well we got to end this, David Allen. Thank you for sharing your expertise and insights with us today, especially about the knowledge on your economic development, privacy, and security laws has truly been enlightening. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us on this episode of Let's Talk Deliciously Room for Dessert Podcast. We appreciate your support and hope you found this discussion valuable. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes to come. Thank you and stay core listeners. Let's Talk Corelicious Leave Room for Dessert podcast with Miss V. The Core Life Coach will give you the tools to build resilience and activate the leader within and identify what truly matters in your life. Some years down the line, you'll look back and smile at how you thought you might not get through it. That's when you'll be proud of yourself for prioritizing your well-being and personal growth. You are the rock star that your family and kids look up to for light. Let's help you grow and evolve with Let's Talk Corelicious Leave Room for Dessert podcast with Miss V, the Core Life Coach, an unparalleled opportunity to truly live up to your fullest potential and find comfort in your own skin. 